are you looking to start a podcast like this? Anchor makes it super easy to get started with recording and automatically distributing your podcast to the most popular platforms all for free. You can create podcasts from your phone, computers, or bring in pre-recorded episodes and overlay them with free background tracks. Make money easily with no minimum listenership requirement. It is the podcast platform for all. Download the free app today from your app stores or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to This Dev Life, the podcast for developers where we talk about the daily life of developers, challenges we face, and how we overcome these challenges every single day. Join me and let's have fun together. Hello people, welcome to another episode of This Dev Life. On this episode, we have Lawrence Agbani. Again, yeah, I know, we had him last episode, <laughs> but hold on, wait, we're introducing a new series, and this series is called Unscripted on This Dev Life. And what we'll be talking about is just stuff around general software development topics are uh, like uh, what the software is what the class is what object-oriented programming is all those sort of stuff are. but of course that is not what we're talking about today because it's supposed to be unscripted and who wants to get to the topic we're talking about today it is who can guess it's monolith versus microservices architecture Let's get right away. Lawrence, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, guys, you've met Lawrence last week already, but if you haven't, no worries. You can go and listen to that episode of This Dev Life uh, where he introduced himself and he talked a whole lot about his life as a software developer, what it felt like, uh, you know, studying programming and all sorts. So, we have Lawrence on the show. He's a software developer. He works for an e-commerce company in Germany and we'll just get right into the topic we have to talk about today. So, Lauren, what is the monolith? What is the microservice? What does all these things mean? <clears throat> all right. So, you know, we're supposed to be having this conversation together, right? <laughs> cool. So, yeah. <clears throat> so, monolith... Monolith, in terms of um, how we have it with uh, with software engineering, is basically seen as a an application that is built as like a unit together with everything in it. Um, and I'll try to explain this with a very uh, with a very common example. Um, you know, back in the day, <clears throat> we had um, we had radios that had the cassettes, place where you could put the cassette inside of it. Um, and then the speakers were right next to the cassettes, uh, the cassette door. And then they had the tuner where you could tune for the AM, FM uh, stuff. They had the knob there and the antenna. And then they had everything all in one box. 
So you just lift that box and when you get that box, you put the batteries inside, you, you can put in your cassette, cassette is going to play, you can switch to AM, FM mode and then you can tune and then you can do all of that all in one. So pretty much in software, that's what the monolith is. That's everything together in one piece. We have the front end, probably the back end and everything that has to make the application work as one application, one gigantic application like that and everything is inside of it pretty much all the software components bundled together as one bundled together as one just all the parts of the software they're just one big application one big family <laughs> <laughs> all right okay and um so we've talked about what a monolith is uh it's all software packages bundled together the front end the back end maybe even the database everything that connects with you can basically just take that whole package and deploy it and then everything you need to run it is inside there and then mm-hmm. recently we've been airing stuff around uh microsoft's architecture well not that recently anyway it's been a couple of years around the block now um where you hear i'm gonna containerize it i'm gonna dockerize it this microservice service oriented architecture what does it really mean to a software developer Hmm. Um, so, service-oriented architecture, or maybe microservices as you have, or as it were, is just basically an architecture that involves collect the collection, like collection of services that communicate with each other, just by simple data passing. You know, mostly via APIs, but there are other means, right? So, but then it can involve two or more services communicating with each other to coordinate some activity, basically. So. Uh, that's just what service-oriented architecture is. So it's architecture that involves collection of services that communicate with each other by simple data passing and could involve one or more of those services and that are basically trying to coordinate some activity. Okay, so take it, for example, let's say I have an e-commerce application, for example. Uh, in a monolith mm-hmm. world, I would have my payments, my authentication, my mm-hmm. uh, inventory, my order processing, mm-hmm. everything in one single mm-hmm. bundle of application. application. Doing the same. So mm-hmm. if services fail, it means payment has failed, all the other components have failed. But while exactly. in uh, in a microservice architecture, uh, services uh, payments is in one running on one server, sort of. Uh, yeah. Payments is running in one place. Uh, orders are running in one Check place. Out. Checkout, authentication, sign up, email services, they are actually running in separate instances of themselves. Is that what it is? Exactly. Okay. So, yes, that, that's what it is. So now, what that if one exactly. service now goes down? I'm playing the dumb guy here. So, <laughs> so, so yeah, that's the thing. And that's the cool part of microservices. If one service goes down, the application is still alive. The application still runs with other parts of the services that are still working. You know, um, how do I put this uh, cleanly? Uh, I, I wanted to use a car, but then ca- cars are basically microservices that are monoliths together at the same time. But that that is a perfect example. But yeah, if if you're running a, an e-commerce website, for instance, and you have everything together, if there is an overload on checkouts, right, and you don't have proper, um, maybe you're not properly skilled and there's an overload on checkout, it's most likely that that would basically crash the entire website. And people will be able to access other parts of the website. But the cool part about microservices is if you're having too many people at checkouts, right, it's the checkout service that is suffering. 
and then you can scale this checkout service differently. So if the checkout service, maybe you didn't scale it and dies for some reason or fails, users can still browse the website, they can still add to carts, you understand? Users can still do every other thing that has to do with the application but checkout. And okay. yeah, but what if one other service depends on that service that is either down or overloaded? What happens in that scenario? Mm, so if a service depends on that service, the service will most likely respond but to respond with a failure because of course that service that it depends on it's not it's not really functioning. And that's where the architecture bit comes in. So you have to basically sit down to think about how you're going to architect this app in such a way that you don't have too many dependencies like that because the main idea behind microservices is to so have um, the the applications to be or the services to be independently deployable by themselves like they are their own applications for instance so um, you have to look for a way that it can fail either fail I wanted to say fail silently but that, that can no, also fail like, gloriously fail with, <laughs> with honor yeah. so, <laughs> You have to you have to look for a way that it it feels in such a way that it doesn't interrupt um, user experience um, in any way. So like um, in this in the e-commerce example checkouts, um, the checkout depends on um, some product data or product information, for instance. So um, when you go on the checkout, the checkout will most likely want to fetch product data based on the product that you're viewing in the checkout page, etc. Wants to fetch like address data, so it wants to fetch some user information as well. So if all those other services that the checkout uh, service needs to populate um, a checkout response are not available, of course the checkout will most likely fail. Right. So, yeah. So. Uh... And. Pretty much it. Now, when these things happen, so we're talking about failing gloriously. Uh, there's this concept I hear about frequently um, that uh, you can sort of have these things in a queue. Uh, so let's say I want to check out and the checkout service is overloaded. So what happens mm-hmm. is those things go actually go in a queue and then once checkout is available again, those queues just start processing themselves. And that is... Yeah, so... so- yeah, and th- that works, but the thing is, it works in certain scenarios. You, you don't want to do the queue thing every time. Like, for instance, if a user tries to check out, right, you you want to, and, and that's also a way to solve the problem. Like, we have a problem now. The checkout has failed, right? We can solve that problem. But then you want to look at it like, does it make sense at this point to implement the queue system? Because um, the, the checkout might need to give like instant feedback and then it has to do stuff instantly and i'm not i'm just using that as an instance like there are some services or there are some parts of the application that need to do something instantly but if you believe that eventually so if the business has sat down have conversations with developers and then everybody believes that eventually we're still going to process this other when all this information available like for instance why i say the checkout would fail is because for the checkout to be able to bring out some information i ought to get some information to process that um or that it needs product information it needs some i think some user information as well and if either of those services are down it cannot be able to even display that checkout page for the user to work with so in that case it will fail but if we have a problem with maybe the other fulfillment service if there's something like that mm-hmm. when the user clicks on the checkout you already have the information, you click on the checkout. We can take all that information from the checkout and put it in a queue, mm-hmm. right? And then 
whenever the other, other female service is ready, you can pick up that message or that um, that request and then fulfill it and, and carry on. Okay, so so that's that's where you want to use. So what we just explained here now, uh, like queuing stuff uh, when a service component is unavailable. Is that some of the pros that microservice architecture has over monolith architecture? Trust me, I've seen monolith applications that use the queue system as well. So it's not really a it's not the microservice advantage. Like it's one of the things you can use to make microservices even more interesting and asynchronous. But you can have you can see monolith applications also using queue systems as well. Because, but, but what I feel like is an advantage for, um, like for monoliths, I believe one of the advantages we have for monoliths, there's an advantage actually, even if everybody wants to make them look bad, they have advantage, they have pros. And one of the pros is that you have faster initial development because you do everything together, right? And then there's little confusion for developers. Developers don't go crazy because when you come into the, uh, into the team, for instance, they're like, See this one repository with all this code, that's all you need. And then you go inside, everything you need is in there. You don't have to be confused as to what this service does, blah, blah, blah. You definitely ask, okay, what does this code do? What does that do? But everything is in one application or one repo, one language most likely, so you know what you're doing. And um, it's a one-stop shop code base, basically. But um, also, that brings us to some certain issues with um, the approach with the um, microservices, which is we have multiple services that are most likely handled by different teams and are written in different languages. So you can have that problem where a developer comes into the team. Oh, how do I get this data? You need the checkout service. Oh, the checkout service. How do I get the, the checkout services from that repo? It's handled by that team. It's written in Ruby. And the but I'm working on the payment system, payment service. Payment service is written in Java. I don't know Ruby. And there you have problems. So, yeah. And this developer now cannot be able to quickly jump on that part of the, um, of the, of the project, basically, until he maybe knows how to write Ruby or find someone that does and, and, and stuff. But, yeah, um, for, for pros, it's not... The queuing thing is not part of the pros of uh, microservices. It's just um it's, it's just it just makes it more interesting but also you can use queues with with um, with monolithic with applications, as well. applications so um not to just uh try to sort of sum it up uh so you as a developer as lawrence lawrence the developer when and why would you choose a monolith over microservices and when and why would you choose a microservice over monolith just paint those two scenarios for us Hmm, let's see. So, if you want to, if you have scale in mind, because everybody feels like monolith um, microservices like the silver bullet, it's not. There are cases where you, it's not a silver bullet. Like, there, there are cases where you actually just need a simple application that runs and it's fine. And <clears throat> for instance, if I'm building a blog, it's like I want, to, I want to start a blog. And then for the blog, I go and write email notification service. And then I go and write uh, text message service. I go and write, or I start splitting everything to microservices. It makes no sense. Like <clears throat> in that situation, I just need something that works that I can just.
go on it and publish content. Yes. End. That's all. I can write the monolith for that, right? And how much would you want to scale a blog, for instance? You get, of course, you can start having like many visitors, but you have just one particular, most likely just one page that you're filling up with content that users are viewing. So why would you want to want to scale that in like why would you want to split that into services basically you wouldn't want to do that but if i was starting an e-commerce business right and i want to build for scale right i want to be able to ensure that my application doesn't die like i was working for an e-commerce e-commerce company back in nigeria where there was this uh there was this um black friday thing that happened and they were selling i think it was ps4 then for a very ridiculous amount of money the whole Nigeria was on that. <laughs> I, I want to say the whole Nigeria because the, the, the traffic was massive. Many people were on on, on the, the site. site that day. And the site crashed. The site crashed multiple times. People were like, ah, they are scammed. They have scammed us. Uh, they are finished selling and they don't... This was this basically word on the streets. Like, they are like, they are finished selling us. Uh, they are finished selling all the PS4s they have now. They can't sell anymore. So instead of them to sell anything, they just turned up the website. website. <laughs> <laughs> that's what people were saying you know but, but that's not what really happened it was a monolith at then as at then and one part of it broke and broke the entire website and it was chaos like everybody in development were running a task about trying to fix, fix stuff but the thing is people really won't really get it so like eventually when the company moved to microservices all these things were mitigated. So before the Black Friday comes, everybody will be like, okay, you know what? This is basically do like an assessment to know where we are we are going to be having pain points, like where users fire the most when they are shopping. Okay, when users are shopping, they fire this checkout page very well. Let us scale checkout. So based on metrics on the black the last Black Friday and what we got, you know, scale to make that decision. That, exactly so now you create the checkout service that is totally agnostic from everything just basically uses apis to fetch data and then the main application just calls the checkout service when the user goes to checkout and that way if there is any hit that is going to be gotten that hit is gotten by the checkout by service the checkout. so if we have to scale we just scale the checkout service and everybody will be fine the, the entire application still keeps running so if i was to start an e-commerce business of course i want to um, split everything like that because once the traffic starts coming in you don't want your, your entire application to go down okay. and then people on the road start saying you that you switched off your website <laughs> <laughs> exactly because of something but they don't know you're actually going through a downtime you know so yeah it's not a silver bullet you don't want to use microservices to create a blog what an experiment imagine how much time it's going to take because except you're off, actually creating the blogging engine itself where millions of people will come <laughs> where millions of people exactly so you think about it are, are you do you really need this you know that's the first thing you think about because of course if i have a blog i don't need that it's robust microservices are robust they ensure you can do different things but once you start getting to very simple scenarios like blogs and all those other tiny websites it is too much work it's too much like you just stress yourself so why not just at that point monolith makes sense put everything in one piece and ship it you'll be happy then if you're going to run an e-commerce website that is going to grow at scale you would want to start thinking microservices so you can be able to have independent applications differently and separation of concerns separation of so, concerns as well and that way you can add features 
that don't affect the entire flow of the application. You know, your deployment lifecycle doesn't get affected as well. If you understand, so imagine you there, there's already something on the pipeline that needs to be deployed. A huge application has something in the pipeline that needs to be deployed, and then there's a problem with the email notification. You now have to do a fix and sort of, you know, it depends on how the team structures their deployment pipeline. They might have to just deploy along with that small tiny fix just to have that fix go out. But at that point, they've pushed some very useless code already to production, etc. So, but you can have separate deployment pipelines for different things. So exactly. So if the email notification is broken, you can just go there and yeah, fix it. But if you want to add new features to the email notification, you just go there. And then the entire application doesn't know about this. It keeps running, sends that email. Whenever it wants to send an email, talks to the email uh, or the notification service. And then notification service has some new features. Oh wow, new features, amazing. But you don't it didn't have to affect like the entire flow of the application. Uh, so now in the microservice architecture thing now, um it now comes the concept of so for example I have five services, five microservices that are powering my front end application. And mm-hmm. let's say for example checkout is in version five and the current order the current service that are actually calling in maybe the front end is still on version four. Um what sort, of a, what sort of advice would you give to a team that is trying to adopt microservice architecture to ensure that uh, the front end is using the recent and best version of the services they are calling? Oh, you mean, okay, so what you're trying to say is if you have a front end that is on a higher version, and then you have so I'm saying, services that. So, for example, you have checkout, payments, orders, and everything. The checkout team is, they are the fastest team that writes code. They're on version 5. Payments team is depending on checkout team. But they are actually still using version 3 of checkout. But the best features are actually on version 5 of checkout. All the fixes they need done, they're on version 5 of checkout. But they are afraid to switch because they don't want to write new code. How do you advise teams to manage that sort of complexity? Hmm. That's a very that's a very specific scenario. Uh, those things happen actually, but but I don't know. In my on my own, well, off the top of my head, um, if if the checkout team needs or the payment team needs stuff from the checkouts, uh, normally what anybody would do is if you're writing in if you're writing for this set of APIs, because once you start switching versions from maybe version three to version four and version five, it's breaking changes definitely breaking changes mm. meaning there might be some apis that are deprecated on version 4 and 5 that are not deprecated on version 3 and if the, if the payment service is using version 3 of the checkout service um the, the payment service is obviously going to have breaking changes when they move to version 5 right so in that kind of scenario you have to write new code if you're going to if you're going to try, if you want to use the new features of what, or you want to use the, the latest and greatest stuff that the checkout team has to offer, you definitely have to change your API, the API calls you're making to what they have. You definitely have to do breaking changes on your end. So that means the payment, uh, the payment team too would have to do an upgrade. They have to change things, right? They have to change how they call. They might not change how others call them, so they might not have to change their own version. They might not have to update their version, but they might want to change how they call the checkout the service checkout. because i mean and 
yeah and in that kind of scenario you don't really have so much stress like I've, you wouldn't really have and that also depends on how much changes have gone over time and if certain things have been carried on from from the previous two versions right so again i don't see a reason why the payment team in a very old version using a very old version of the checkout service would want to upgrade if they are not also looking at doing an upgrade themselves because you're totally fine with this old version you're using everything still works everybody's happy so the only reason why you want to upgrade is if your own changes or your own business requirements have also changed and the only way you can adopt or adapt to it is if you have like the latest version of what you're calling from the checkout service or something and and stuff so at that point you would also want to do your own upgrade and you would definitely have to write code to do that so if the payment team would have to make changes made by the checkout team they would definitely have to do some some breaking changes as well because versioning is when you move from one version to the other you're definitely breaking something yeah definitely definitely okay so you've heard it from the pro i'm not a pro here he's a pro <laughs> oh he's the pro <laughs> uh, <laughs> i'm just on the back seat <laughs> tell us of that. okay so they say with great power comes great responsibility uh when you're going to microsoft architecture you're taking on a whole lot of more responsibilities but of course if your service needs it to be more productive to deliver value to your customers of course go ahead for it but for simple scenarios monoliths are awesome and of course i named this monolith versus microservices but it's not actually a showdown battle between each of them it's just to lay out uh, what are the benefits of each one of them and why when and where why should you choose to use uh which one over which one and of course we've been able to explain that on this episode of this dev life that i call unscripted with lawrence agbani thanks very much for coming on this episode i know we have one more episode to record uh, so <laughs> listeners you'll see here from lawrence in the next episode thanks very much for joining we will see you when we get there <laughs>